All right, are you ready to study God's Word this morning? Get your Bibles out, turn to Luke's Gospel. We're going to be reading part of the uh, Christmas story and finishing up our last installment of the series we've been doing this Christmas Advent time that we've called Walking in a Wisdom Wonderland. And we hijacked the song about walking in a winter wonderland, and as I was listening to it, in fact, uh, I'm sure it will end after Christmas Day, but we've kind of got hooked on 102.5 on our radio, listening to all the Christmas music, and uh, mo- most of it is, uh, is within the boundary, so uh, it's, it's nice to hear a little Christmas music, but it was listening to that that I was... I was humming along with walking in a winter wonderland and just was listening to the words, which I don't normally do. <laughs> I grew up in the American Bandstand era. You, you remember when they rate a record? Anybody remember American Bandstand when they rate a record? Every week it was the same thing. It's got a good beat and you can dance to it. That's every week. That was how they rated a record. So I grew up in that era. Never listened to the words. It doesn't have a good beat and can you dance to it. So anyway, listening to the words and just was made aware that the song had a lot to deal with relationship and it just made me think in the Christmas story how much about relationship is mentioned there and so we've just been taking these accounts and looking at relationship and talking about it through the Christmas season and on week one we talked to the guys about what it means to be a Joseph to be in spiritual leadership what does it mean to exercise headship within a family so we, we got the guys in our crosshairs and shot at them a little bit. And then, then the ladies came the next week and we talked about Mary and how she was submitted to her husband, but yet was still obedient to God. And hopefully we untangled some of the confusion that comes in that area. And then last week we uh, talked about how you find the right one, singles, didn't we, and young people. And about how Joseph and Mary may have known that they were the right one for each other. And so we just were taking all sorts of relational themes until now we get to this this final uh, Christmas message and we're going to talk a little bit to the moms and dads, I suspect specifically. But I believe I've got something here for everybody. If you've been to all the weeks through Christmas, I mean, can you, I mean, don't lie to me. I mean, we wouldn't want you to lie in the house of God. Bind your angels, you know, we wouldn't want you to do that. But, but isn't that amazing how, how God's word can come in an area that you think may not affect you or has nothing to do with you, and yet God will speak to you through that. And, and so I trust you have ears to hear and a heart to receive, because we're going to talk, as I mentioned, most specifically to moms and dads, but if you're a grandparent today, I believe you're going to hear something from God. If you're an aunt or you're an uncle, you're going to hear from God today. If you have any influence over children or young people in your life, I believe you're going to hear a word from the Lord today because the scripture we're going to read from is about two very young people. You understand, Joseph and Mary were not 35 and 32. I I mean, these were not older, middle-aged people. Uh, These were very, very young people. Conceivably, we're talking 16 and 14. I mean, that'll blow your whole picture of the nativity scene, won't it? I mean, these were very young people. And they started off their relationship having to be the earthly parents of the Son of God. Can you imagine handing the Son of God over to your teenagers? That's a scary thought. 
Imagine young people, Joseph and Mary, Mary having to have the baby, Joseph being an adoptive father. All of this is taking place before they were officially married in the eyes of the culture. They had lost their only source of income when they had to go off to Bethlehem in order to be taxed through the census. They were forced to relocate. In that relocation, um, there was no way to continue to, to bring income into the household. I mean, you start thinking about all the things that were on the plate of Joseph and Mary, and could it have gotten any worse? And yet God entrusted them as parents to raise His only begotten Son. I just started thinking about that. And that just became an incredibly amazing thought. And I thought to myself that if all the other ways they model things to us, that for God to entrust them as parents with His only Son, I believe there are probably some things we can begin to pull out of these passages that will help us as we influence or as we parent the next generation. And so, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read out of Luke chapter 2 again. I'm going to start with verse 1. And I entitled the message today, our lesson today, Parenting the promise of God. Parenting the promise of God. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. He was registering them for a tax. Every time the government wants to register you, they're doing it in order to get into your pocketbooks, and it was no different for Caesar Augustus. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. Guys, you can drop me just a little bit. I don't know if I'm too loud out there. I'm not too loud for you. Then maybe it's in the monitors. All right. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Is that good out there? Is it too soft now? Okay, they want it up in the house, down on the monitors. All right, thank you very much. He was to be registered with Mary, this betrothed wife who was with child. So it was, while they were there, the days were complete for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And we're talking about parenting the promise of God. Um, just this week, it always amazes me how whenever I have a, 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 a bead on what the Holy Spirit might like to share with the congregation, I'm always amazed at how vivid and living illustrations will come to me that week in order to underscore, if, if not an illustration for you all, it will imp impress upon me that, you know, I'm heading down, you know, the right alley here with what I'm hearing from God. And, and so this week I was at one of my daughter's ball games and... She's on the junior varsity. She's of that age. And so we got there early, got our seat in the stands. And at the time, it wasn't very crowded. Pretty much you could spread out if you wanted to. And, and we weren't necessarily near anyone or not crowded in. But there was within probably just a little over an arm's distance a, a mom who was sitting there with her two very, very, very young daughters, probably four or five, I would assume, maybe in that age, younger than that. Two. Little one was two. Wow. Wow pastor's age thing so don't ever don't ever hold me accountable to guessing your age right there 
Anyway, young, young girls, and they were sort of in the, uh, you know, the, 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 the aspiring wannabe cheerleaders. So they had the little cheerleader outfits on, and they were, they were just being little girls. And mom was obviously in, enjoying her chili cheese fries as, as she was sitting there because, because the girls were just kind of doing anything and everything in the stand. And they were wanting to visit some people that were over on the opposite side of where Trace and I were seated. And of course, I, what's really great about getting older is I'm a whole lot calmer than I used to be. I, I don't have the need to help everyone out in society like I used to. And, and, and so for me, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but it was an interesting thing because one of the little girls, and I don't know which one it was of their age, but she decided that she wanted to go and be, be with these people. Well, the problem was she couldn't make up her mind. And, and so she was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And in order for her to do that, she had to kind of work her way around me because I was the one that she had to work her way around. And at first she would do her best to, to get by me and she wouldn't touch me or anything like that. But then after a while, I guess she figured, well, as long as your knee's there, I might as well use it to, to help navigate around. So she'd grab me by the knee and, and move around and come back and grab me by the thing. And, the whole, and I'm sitting there and, and, and Trace leans over and says, because she knows me, I mean, she knows that there are most occasions that that probably isn't going to fly very long. And, and, but at the moment I'm going, I'm getting an illustration here. So, so I'm not going to have anything break through on my illustration. And, and, you know, mom wasn't paying a lick of attention. I mean, they were all over. I mean, she's just into her chili cheese fries. I mean, you could tell. Well, you could just tell that was important at that moment. So, so they're going back. And I'm not talking. There was a dozen, it was a dozen times in the span of about 12 minutes. I mean, it was just back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, mom's right there, and you don't want a parent for her, right? I, I mean, really, I know, I know you're right. You want to, but you know in the day and age we live in, God forbid that you should say anything about, you know, little sweetie or, you know, it doesn't matter. You just, it's just the age we live in. And, and she went back and forth, back and forth. Well, and, and finally it all shook itself out. But I, I sat there and I was amazed. And, and again, when they're two, three, four years old, I don't know. That is really cute, I guess. There's an aspect of cute to it. Of course, once you get to a dozen times, cute begins to fade a little bit. But I started thinking about how disconnected mom was. I mean, she was oblivious. To, to what was going on around her. I mean, I, maybe, maybe she was just trusting. Maybe, maybe she didn't care. Maybe that was just her style of parenting. I, I, but it just, it one more time zeroed in on me how, how parenting is never a day off. You never get to clock out. Even if you got the greatest chili cheese fries. You don't get the clock out. And, and folks, we can't clock out, especially in the era we're living in. We cannot clock out of what God is asking of us to do. And, and so we read here the very familiar story about Joseph and Mary being given the assignment by God to be the ones who would give parental oversight to his only son. In fact, it was greater than even his son. They were assigned to steward the very promise and plan of God 
for all of humanity. I want you to think about that. I want to pause there for just a moment. The fate of all humanity rested to some extent on their parenting skills. Have you ever thought about that? It's as if God said, here, I'm going to give you my only son. No pressure. No pressure. How would you like your eternal destiny resting on how some people parent? Now, I know, because I always get this whenever I sort of tweak people's thinking, somebody will come up to me and they'll start going under the whole theological deal. I understand that I am pressing a, a point probably to the edges of orthodoxy. I understand that it's Jesus. I get it. But I want you just to think from the angle about how serious God was in allowing two people to steward his number one plan and purpose, that being redemption. I have often wondered if he was taking a risk. Now, again, I'm not making theological statements here. I'm just sort of thinking out loud with you all. I wondered if, if he thought he was taking a risk in doing it the way he did. I know the way many choose to parent in the 21st century would have been an incredible risk for him to give Jesus to those folks. Now, I know what some will say. They'll just automatically come back and say, hey, hey, wait a minute, but, but it's Jesus. How hard could it have been to raise Jesus? Joseph and Mary had my child. They wouldn't have looked so good. They got Jesus. I get Beelzebub. Sure, give me Jesus. I'd look good too. But I have one of the heads of the beasts of the revelation in my house. I have found where the Antichrist is and it's sleeping in a room in my house. It's not a fair comparison, my child, to Jesus. And I'll admit, I will admit that there are certain things we know about Jesus that certainly would have made him unique from other children. We know that, that his father's seed was incorruptible. Jesus was begotten from the Holy Spirit, which meant that he was not tainted with the same bent and proclivities that you and I are tainted with. He wasn't stained with the same features that our children are stained with. It's what we call original sin. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus' motives and his actions were not rooted in selfishness. The irreducible residue, I think, of sin is selfishness or self-centeredness. And so because Jesus did not have those proclivities because he needed to be a perfect sacrifice when it came time for him to offer himself, his seed from the Father was perfect, incorruptible seed. And so it is true that he was unique in as much as he did not have the same selfishness or, 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 or pride or those original sin issues that are rooted in the rest of us. They would not have been there. So it is true that in as much as our problems with raising children are the effect of original sin, Joseph and Mary may not have faced everything that you and I face. It is true that Jesus, I believe this to be true, was not motived out of self-interest. He was not motived out of selfishness, and a lot of what our kids do are just pure T selfish. And so maybe that would have been out of the equation, at least the motive of it. But, but that doesn't mean that Jesus never got angry. Doesn't mean that Jesus never got frustrated doesn't mean that he never got irritated or exasperated. It doesn't mean that he couldn't have been immature. Have you ever thought about that? 
I don't know that Jesus couldn't have been hurt due to unfairness or injustice. I mean, when you go through junior high, those of you that have had junior high children, I mean, junior high kids are ruthless. I mean, they're absolutely ruthless. I mean, it doesn't mean that he didn't have stresses and that he didn't have peer pressure or that he didn't have opportunities to fail. Doesn't mean that he was, as he was growing up, that the carpentry business didn't face ups and downs like your business faces. The Bible says that in all ways, everyone say all, in all ways he was tempted just like you and me. He felt just like we feel. He experienced just what we experience. And I believe that despite that proclivity not being in there, I believe that for temptation to be real, there has to be a possibility that you can blow it. I just don't believe it's temptation any longer. You can't tempt somebody who has a force field around them. Are you following me? I mean, if, if, if this isn't tempting, then I can't be tempted. But tempting means that there may be something that would cause me to say, maybe I could or should, or, but it says that despite being tempted in all ways, just like the rest of us, he did not sin. Just because the stain of original sin wasn't in him doesn't mean that he was immunized from the issues of life and growing up. Again, if you have your Bibles, in the book of Philippians chapter 2, it's the great passage that tells us about the humanity of Jesus. Philippians 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul wrote this realizing that what was in Jesus could be in you, right? Otherwise, he wouldn't have said, let it be in you. And you know the word let means you let. It happened. So he says, let it be in you like it was in Christ Jesus, who, meaning Jesus, being in the form of God, means that he was God, but he said it did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. In the margins of my Bible is a great translation, and some of your Bibles, if you're carrying another translation, may have it in there, but it says that he emptied himself of all his privileges. When it made himself of no reputation, it means he emptied himself of everything that would give him an unfair advantage on this earth. I know most of us, when we look at the life of Jesus, we say, well, sure he could do it. Sure he acted that way. Sure he could speak that way. Sure he could think that way because he's Jesus. But Paul said, you've got to realize that when he became Jesus, when he stepped out from the realm of glory, it's called incarnation, when he stepped into human form, Scripture says that he relinquished all of his rights and privileges of being God. And at that moment, he became like you and me. It says that, that in the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So, I have come to the conclusion that Jesus, from the time he was born to the time he finally comes on the scene when we see him at approximately 30 years of age. Now, there are just little glimpses in between that time, but just glimpses. I believe he was probably a lot like any normal kid in the first century. Maybe that's why there's 30 silent years there. Maybe it's because it, it was just normal. He was just doing what normal people do in those first 30 years. Joseph and Mary still had to parent him. Jesus still had to get up and go to school. Jesus still had to make his bed. 
He still had to go to religious training. He played with the kids around the house. He had to work at his dad's shop. I know that in our minds, we think that when Mary called him down from upstairs and she hollered out, Jesus, time to get up, go to school. We figure he woke up, bounced out of bed, and said, this is the day that I have made. Everyone rejoice and be glad in it. I mean, it's kind of hard, isn't it, for us to imagine Jesus upstairs after hearing his mom tell him, tell him to get up, it's time to go to school. Him saying, Mom, I'm sleeping in today. I know I have a test in geometry, but the fullness of the Godhead dwells in me, and I know all the answers anyway. So I can skip the test. And Mary says, don't you be giving me any of that divine attitude. I've had it up to here with this Godhead stuff. I don't care if you are the second person of the Trinity. I'll come up there and Trinity you up the side of the head. You don't get up and get to school on time. I mean, we have a hard time imagining, don't we? This sort of scenario unfolding. And I don't do that to be flippant, but how can we even relate to Joseph and Mary when it doesn't seem like we're working with the same material? How can we get some parenting tips when it seems like their situation was unique from mine? Can I just say this? Every parent in this room, and that has ever been, always thinks their situation is unique. Nobody faces what I face. Nobody can understand what I have to go through. We think that nobody, nobody gets or relates or comprehends what we face. You see, our family is different. Well, then this should apply especially to you. Because we're going to talk about a one unique, different family that came from Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary leaves us with some tips that I just sort of gleaned out of this that hopefully can be a, an encouragement, maybe challenge you, and help us all to do our parenting a promise a little bit better. Let me give you some tips here. I'm just going to give you five. I figure if I give you 12 or 15, you'll lose two-thirds of them. So I'll give, you, I'll give you just five, and we'll start from there. Number one, you are stewarding a destiny you got to get this one in your system. Every time a child is born into any of our households, or for that matter, any time a child is born into the world, it has a plan and a purpose of God inside of it. If you don't believe that, just go to the first chapter of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1 is probably the best passage dealing with that. In verse 5, listen to what God says to the prophet. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And so God reminds us at the very moment of conception that God puts destiny into our DNA. We have a plan. We have a, a purpose from God that's, that's very important to Him. And He entrusts that to parents to steward. Now, just like Joseph and Mary... We've got to remember that our kids have a destiny. And as a parent, you're the only one who has the ability, really, on a 24-7 basis to keep and protect future possibilities in front of them. We all know, don't we, kids live for the moment. They make decisions at the moment that are not always quality decisions. You, as a parent, have the experience 
and, and you have the basis, hopefully, of training that, that, that you can help protect and help steward their future before they blow it. Now, how does that work practically? Well, let me just share with you some things that we've worked out in our house, and you can take it or leave it or just say it has to deal with my house, but, but hopefully it'll make you think about, about what you have in your household. It's from God, and He doesn't want you to blow it. For instance, I don't, as a parent, apologize for monitoring my kid's life. I don't apologize for that. Until they're old enough and they can afford their freedom, they're mine. I help them pick their friends. In fact, I, we, we, we were talking about this the other day. My boys were just four or five years old and we made them give up some friends. Because they had some friends at four and five years old. They knew, they knew every... Isn't it amazing? I've always thought this to be amazing. That kids can't get a hundred on their spelling test, but they always spell every word right on the bathroom wall. Isn't that amazing? They won't get their spelling list right, but they know every swear word, cuss word, every vile, vulgar word. They'll always get those spelled right. And so there were just some children, just in the five, six-year-old category, and I don't know where they got it. I won't blame their parents. I don't know where they picked it up. But, but those kids, they needed to be in the military or something, because I'm telling you, they had Navy language, Air Force language, Army language, I mean, golf language. I mean, they had it all. I don't apologize for picking friends. Pick their friends. First Corinthians... 1533 says bad company corrupts good morals. I mean, they may, I know, I understand, kids may do what they do, but it'll be done over my lifeless, breathless body. That's just how we are in our household. I, I, I don't apologize for setting curfews. I set curfews to protect destinies. I'm just telling you, if kids today, I mean, if it's after, I mean, now we're talking about young people, but I, I, I mean, what's open after midnight? Nothing but trouble. I know, I know they've got something unique to tell you. I don't, I don't mind changing television channels. I don't mind throwing out CDs. They should have checked with me first. That's my view. Well, they pay hard-earned money. I don't care. That devil isn't coming in to my house, and it's not coming into your little spirit yet. When you're 21 and you're on your own and you can afford it, go buy all the devilment you want. But for now, I'm throwing it out. Hallelujah. Have you ever checked the iPod? I know, all the young people are going, oh my God, I've got to go home. Check the iPod. Review the text messages. Get their password for Facebook. tough. No, I'm not. I'm a parent. Stewarding a destiny. Keeping their options and their future open for them. We make them open up their bedroom door. They close their door and don't want me in, then that just means I should be there. I have on more than one occasion for both men and women in my household told them to go change because their clothes are not appropriate. I was watching the other day, I was watching this dude walking down the street. I mean, his britches were right about there. I don't know about you, but that ain't attractive to me. I mean, he's, this is what he's doing the whole time. <laughs> yeah, 
Like, like I'm gonna, I'm not even gonna hire you to flip a burger. How can you flip a burger when you're, I don't want your hands down there flipping burgers. We wonder why they aren't working, because they're doing this all day long. Or, or women always, well you wouldn't have to do that if you got something a little higher. Come on, help them. Don't you don't let them look like the Hollywood crowd. The Hollywood crowd's been married four, five, ten times. Have diseases, been to rehab three, four times, and we try to look like them. Come on. Talking to dads. Dads, come on. You know better than anyone else what young men think. You were a young man. You know what young men think. Don't let your daughters go out and be bait. I've made mine break up with people. Can't believe that. I even made, I've made girls' parents upset with me. I don't care. Because you see, you are not stewarding my children's destiny. Your daughter isn't going to, I'm sorry, your daughter's a hoochie and she ain't going to come hoochie in my household. There's destiny here. I'm not letting a, I'm not letting a boy, you may let your son be like Hugh Hefner, but don't you come expecting to pick up my daughter. Say, well, they'll never meet anybody. They'll never get married. I, well, it's just whether or not you're going to trust God for the right one. Otherwise, you're going to get you a wrong one and you'll get three or four shots at it. This is about destiny, parents. If you want your kids the rest of their life flipping burgers and asking if they want fries with it, that's up to you. But I am stewarding a great destiny. But what, what, if, what, if, what if my kids get mad at me or they don't like me? I'm going to set you free, Mom and Dad, right now. That means you're doing something right. Yes, you are. It's just like if the world gets mad at you for being a Christian. You're doing some things right. I am not called to be a friend. I'm called to be a parent. The culture doesn't have friend issues. It has parent issues. We're stewarding a destiny. Joseph and Mary were stewarding a destiny. You're stewarding a destiny. Your kids have greatness inside of them. God has allowed them to come into the earth. They may be, may be the very one that has a solution to a problem that this world won't solve unless it comes through them. They may be the greatest missionary. They may be the next Billy Graham. They may preach the gospel. They may be a doctor, a lawyer, or a butcher, or baker, or candlestick maker. Whatever it is, God, God has an assignment that he's put into your hands to steward. Now, if you'll get a hold of that, that will help you in almost every area. But we'll give you at least four more. Number two, parenting skills must come from above and not below. I've often said there are two errors that most people make when it comes to parenting. The first is they either react to everything their parents did to them, and then they do the opposite. That's one mistake. The other mistake is they embrace all the dysfunctionality of their parents and they perpetuate. Now, Joseph and Mary, think about this. They had no template for what they were about to embark upon because they're getting the Son of God. All they had were the scriptures to guide them and then the interaction or the presence of the Holy Spirit or as angels would even come and interact with them. That's all they had with regards to how they were going to parent the very Son of God. Now, 
in 1 John 2.20, and guys, if you have it on the screen, you can throw it up. 1 John 2.20, it says this, but you have an anointing. Do you know today that you have an anointing? And it says that it's from the Holy One, and it says, and you know all things. Now, I don't have time to talk about how that applies in every area, but let me apply it in this area. There's an anointing, I believe, to parent. Whenever we dedicate children, oftentimes I'll pray that very prayer. God, send an anointing to parent. Send us an anointing that we can begin to know the things we need to know in order to do this successfully. We're living in a time, people, that we have to have the full power of the Holy Spirit to help us navigate this culture. I believe, yes, there are great books and there are great resources that we can take advantage of as Christians, but we still need to get some of our parenting skills from the Holy Spirit. Now, I've mentioned this before, off and on. I want to say it again. I believe my wife, Trace, needs to do a class on parenting by the Holy Ghost. Now, you all don't get to see this, but I get to see this on a fairly regular basis, and I've seen it happen all through the years. Her gifts of discernment and her word of knowledge with regards to her family and kids is legendary. I mean, even when Clayton was older, he would call his younger siblings and say, don't, don't do that. Mom and the Holy Ghost are tight. You cannot fathom what an advantage that is in child raising. The Holy Spirit wants to help you raise your children. He will quicken you. The moment, see, what happens is, is that the Holy Spirit quickens us and we instantly think, oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm probably just thinking bad. I'm probably thinking something out of with regards to my children. I ought, to, I ought to give them the benefit of the doubt. No, don't you give them the benefit of the doubt. That's, that's the Holy Ghost saying, pick up the phone. Drive by where they're supposed to be. You just do that once or twice and watch the fear of God come back again. There's an appropriate place for the fear of God. Nothing wrong with that. I've watched my wife on several occasions. We're just sitting downstairs, just watching a little TV or just doing something downstairs together, and then all of a sudden, she'll get this look in her eyes. And she gets up, and she starts moving towards the stairs and going towards the upstairs, and I say, oh, Lord, it's the Holy Ghost in trace. It's happening, and, and I'm telling you, almost with 100% accuracy, bam, nailed, got him. Now you say, well, that, doesn't, that doesn't seem very appropriate friendly. We're stewarding a destiny. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will let you catch something before it goes too far. Number three, God has assigned you to impart his ways and not enable their ways. Very, very important. Joseph and Mary were under assignment to raise this child up to fulfill his purpose in God. That's a very, very important statement. You are given a child not to raise it up in a way you see fit or in a way that you just think is the way everyone else does it. You're to raise a child up to fulfill their purpose in God. When God gives you a child, the question is not, what can I do to enable the will of the child, but rather, what am I to do to facilitate God's will in their life? Well, you say, well, what if they don't want God's will in their life? Then it's going to be a tough 18, 19, 20 years, and then they can go rebel on their own, and they can afford it. But as far as I'm concerned, my, that's my job. That's why God gave you to me. God gave 
you to me in order to be a tangible representation of delegated authority. As far as you're concerned, I'm your Holy Ghost. I am. I'm the one that has the ability to see what you can't see. I have the ability to steward what can't be stewarded. I'm just going to throw some things out for you to think about. I, I have had two boys, and they were athletic, and they participated in all sorts of athletics at school and extracurricular stuff. I have a daughter who's playing basketball, and she's doing very well in basketball as well. And I know that all of our children here are into sports and things. But can I just share this with you? My, my, my children's extracurricular activities are secondary to the will of God in their life. How can we always think that church is somewhere down the list and everything else gets popped up on the list? My daughter, Kaylin, we had her miss a practice or a game. I don't remember exactly what it was the other day, but we had her miss it because the youth were doing some things to raise money to go to ski invasion and it was important and she needed to be a part of it. She's one of the best players on her junior varsity team. I know she's the leading scorer on the team. And after that event, I went to the basketball game and I noticed that she didn't get to start that last game. And, and I automatically knew why she didn't get to start. It's because she had missed the practice or the game that, that we had mentioned to the coach she wouldn't be there. And so it was the coach's decision because she skipped basketball practice to be at a youth event that she wasn't going to get to start that next game. Now I get it. I, I get why coaches do that. I just sat there in the stands and I thought to myself, how sad it is that basketball trumps spirituality. But that's fine because she was high scorer in that game anyway. See, why not just let God have first place? Why not? Because one of these days, it's going to be more important what her relationship to God is and not her relationship to coach. You see, I, I, I trust God. I fully believe that God will vindicate us as a family and them as kids if we'll honor God in all things. Now listen, we as the church are here to help you. We want to help you facilitate the will of God in your life and in your children's lives. We are one, I hope, of many ways that you as a parent, the primary person, are facilitating God's ways in their life. But I'm just going to share this with you, and, and we do probably better than most. So I'll give you kudos in that regard. We do better than most. But the challenge of the church has always been to try to undo in an hour or two what happens the rest of the week in many kids' lives. It's hard to combat 40 hours of school, 20 hours of TV, numerous hours of poor oversight and dysfunction to help point them for an hour, maybe two, in the direction of God's ways. It's hard. We do our best to provide a fun atmosphere to do that in. I cannot tell you the amount of times. Now, I've pastored since I was 24 years old, so I've had a lot of years at this. And I cannot tell you through the decades the times I have heard these words. Well, my, my child doesn't like kids' church. Well, you know, I send them to youth, but they don't have any fun. Well, since when is fun the top priority? See, we've automatically bought into a scenario that says if they don't have fun, then they ought not do it. Hey, I'll guarantee you, let's just ask your kids. We'll line them all up here and ask them, do you have fun going to school? Well, I'll say some of them will say, no, I don't like going to school. Well, then don't make them go. Are you following me? I, I know there's even a, a, an ad out there. I hate to say it, but, but there's an ad and several churches have used this. Have you ever thought church would be fun? 
Well, I'm glad if it's fun. I'm glad if we laugh. I feel like I'm kind of a funny guy sometimes. And I understand that we got to do things in order to solicit your attention and bring you back in and do things that, you, you know, we like and do. But fun isn't my top priority. Fun is not the top priority. I'm grateful for, I'll just kind of highlight them, I'm grateful for Kelly and Noah Pruitt. I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for Novi and, and I'm grateful for Tammy and, and, and for Rachel and for all the people that give oversight to these areas. I'm, I'm grateful that Pastor Tyler is going to be stepping in on a full-time basis to help with the kids. I'm grateful for all the helpers that come around because, hear me, we're facilitating a destiny. We, we, we got to get renewed in this. We're facilitating a destiny in Lifehouse. We're facilitating a destiny in Planet Shakers. I understand we're not perfect at it. I'm quite sure there are moments we don't step up like where we need to be, and we're constantly finding ways to do that better. But, but folks, we've got to do that in our households too. And I know that they bend over backwards to help work with kids. And you ought to, be, I mean, I, I just recently got back involved in it because obviously Tyler's getting involved and it was an opportunity for me to get my eyes back on it. I understand that not everybody's thrilled when they go off to Little Fishers or they go off to Planet Shakers or they come to Lifehouse. I, I can look, at, look on the faces of kids that walk in and you can read it. It's, it, it's not a word of knowledge, it's just there. I'm here because my parents make me. And so we, we understand that they're are kids that don't want to be there. I understand that you're doing your best to send them there in order that they can be helped whether they want to be there or not, just like you do when you send them to school. So we thank you for that. But my hope and my expectation, especially in 2010, would be that parents will always be our biggest cheerleaders. We're doing our best with what we're given in order to put destiny into their lives. And if you don't feel, if your child comes home and goes, I didn't have fun. I didn't have fun at church today. Look at them and say, well, today wasn't fun day. Today was destiny day. They came in and said they didn't have fun at math. You wouldn't say, well, just be dumb at math. They wouldn't, they, you, they can't do that. And this is, we're talking about spiritual things. Parents, teachers, coaches. Pastors, nobody's perfect. Do you all realize nobody's perfect? Can we just say that? But let me just say this out loud. Your kids are less perfect. So let's give some of these folks the benefit of the doubt as we're endeavoring to get them into their future. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. I needed that. This Number four, parents must understand the true nature of love. This is, we only got one more left. You're okay. I don't think anybody would debate that Joseph and Mary loved God. They loved their baby. We all know that Jesus functioned in love. Love. I love my children. You love your kids. We love them. We can't imagine life without them. I mean, we'd, we'd go to the mat for them. We would defend them and protect them. And that is how it should be. That's why parents love and parents are the ones that are providing that type of, of covering. But, but let's understand the true nature of love. 1 Corinthians, which is in chapter 12, the love chapter, we call it. And everybody wants the love chapter read at a wedding. And, 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 and oftentimes it's used in order to underscore maybe uh, how we should love or maybe how we're not stepping up to what love really means. But there's a verse in here that, that I always use that no one ever reads. 
that we just need to address, and it's this one in verse 5. It says, love is not rude. It's 13, sorry guys, that's 13.5. I gave you the wrong, 1 Corinthians 13.5. Love is not rude. Have you ever noticed manners are linked to love? Jesus understood the customs, the traditions of his day. Have you ever wondered how he learned all of that? He learned that through parents who taught him. They they taught him how to enter a home. They taught him how to act in synagogue. They taught him first century protocol. Jesus knew when it was time to wash feet. He knew how you were to enter a house, to kick your shoes off. He understood all the different protocols of the day. And he was taught that by his parents. We live in a rude generation. Boy, if you've been out this Christmas season, I could tell stories right now. I'm not going to let you loose, honey. I know you got a you got a parking lot story that you would love to tell. Somebody, she was she had her blinker on, ready to get turned in to a parking place. I believe it was at Costco. She she had it on, waiting there as a per- and there was somebody in a little vehicle that just went. Whoosh, got it. Knew they did it. Ho ho! I'll give them a word of knowledge. You know, it's a rude generation. Now, I'm grateful, and again, I was so happy to see earlier uh, in the week that some of our young people were learning to serve, and they they need to learn these things. They need to serve people. So so kudos to all the kids in the ways they serve, and they go out and they serve others, and and, and there were young people. I think it was Ryan that was helping uh, Pastor Tracy take some things out to the car, and he did that, and he did that with a smile on his face. And so these are wonderful wonderful beacons and i know all of our young people are are, are doing pretty good job in this area but but who teaches a generation these things who teaches the boys how to shake a hand who teaches our children not to interrupt a conversation how about and i realize this is kind of a southern thing that people don't understand but but i still think that merits like saying yes sir and no ma'am instead of huh Huh? What? Yeah, I'm going to let you be my brain surgeon. Yeah, that's right. How about teaching them to wait for the blessing? How about not letting them act out in service? Well, they're a part of the family. Well, but who's going to teach them how to how to respect the house of God? It's you. My children have marks on them. In fact, one time, I, this is, I had one of my children, they didn't like because I was disciplining them, and they said, I'm going to call DSS. I said, you go ahead. I'll dial the number. There, go ahead, dude, do it. See, you're the parent. You're, 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 not, you're not with a governmental negotiating team that sets down with your preteen trying to figure out how this is going to work out i bought the house i pay the electric bill i put your food on the table i underwrite your life you are mine i know what people say yeah you're just controlling you're this you're that no i'm stewarding a destiny who teaches them to say please or thank you 
Who teaches them respect for other things? Who teaches them to write a thank you note? Who teaches them when and where they can pick things on their body? This was trying to get your attention back. So we could have some fun. Who teaches them when burps and such are appropriate or inappropriate? I mean, maybe that's appropriate at your house. That's cool. You can have fun at your house. Do what you want. But they at least need to know they ain't at your house sometimes. I mean, can you imagine Jesus at Zacchaeus' house? And he looks at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to talk to you about your soul. That spicy rice, Zacchaeus, you gave me, man, that, that stuff's going to bark at me. Now, it's funny. But it, not be, it might not be the thing that you want them to do when they're in the presence of importance or greatness. You've got to understand the nature of love. The nature of love isn't to facilitate their every desire. The nature of love is to steward a destiny. The nature of love is to prepare them. They don't get it now. Just, just don't try. You know, I rem- you know I, we took parenting, uh, uh, what is it, God's way? What? Growing kids God's way. And it really was a pretty good course. I mean, there were a lot of wonderful, wonderful things in that. And I know there was this moral reasoning stage. And that would be a wonderful thing. To be able to reason through so that they can understand with some basis why it is we do what we do. And sometimes you can reason and they still don't want to do it. And then you just do the power thing. Because I will assure you, they'll get in their mid-twenties. I've already got one in his mid-twenties right now who now is beginning to see what a genius I am. I know they don't think, they think, when they're 16, they think you're, you're just this idiot. They think you're out to lunch. They, they don't think you get it, you understand it. They think that your primary purpose is to make their life difficult. They believe at 16 years of age that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in them. That they know it all. And you know nothing. And you've got to arise and say, they do not. God is with you. He has anointed me as a parent. And because of that, I have full confidence that I will get you to where you need to be. You can go happy or you can go sad. You can go willingly or you can go with your nail marks in the carpet, but you will go. You will go. Amen. I know. That's good. So good, I'm going to take notes on myself. Take good notes, honey. Some of this isn't on my paper here. Number five, and then I'm done. Aren't you glad? Number five. Mom, Dad, we, we are the ones that lay the foundation of responsibility. There would be a day in the life of Joseph and Mary that they would have to release their baby into his future. In fact, on one occasion, they lost Jesus. In fact, I've preached on that before. And they, they were out of town in this caravan, and I guess they made some assumptions that he may have been in the caravan. But you know the story. About 12 years old, thereabouts, and he was back at the temple, and he was having a discussion with the rabbis and the teachers. But they had lost him for a total of two or three days. And then they found him. He was age 12. Now think about this. Age 12. He was at the synagogue asking some question. And, and that may be the greatest test of parenting is when they are left to themselves 
will they still do the right thing? You see, even when Jesus, and honestly, he's Jesus. Everything's going to love cars. He's Jesus. No, he's a 12-year-old. And, and despite not being in his parents' presence, he was still doing the right thing. And as parents, we've got to understand that what we're working with here is helping this, this destiny come to the place of personal responsibility so that when our presence isn't there, they'll still do the right thing. Now, the question is, well, Pastor, I agree with that, but how in the world do you do that? That's why, and, and I'm not saying if, if you haven't done it, when they get older, it gets increasingly more difficult. If you'll start early, it can be a little bit easier. But just trying to be as, 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 as you know, hit the whole spectrum here, that's, that's why God's given us the ability as parents to bring correction and to bring discipline. Because irresponsibility has a consequence. If they go out into the world and they're irresponsible, there's a consequence. If they're irresponsible, I'm just going to go down the list. If they're irresponsible in school, they could get bad grades. There's a consequence. If they're irresponsible in um, how they uh, handle their, their, their bank account, they're going to get overcharges or overdraft, right? If they're irresponsible in the loans they go get, there's going to be foreclosure. So you understand every irresponsibility has a consequence. Now, here's what we need to do as parents. We, we have an ability for a few short years to define the consequence so that the culture doesn't have to hammer them. Because I would rather them learn some things from me than have them taken down to uh, uh, the jailhouse and put in jail to figure it out then. Are you following me? It's better they understand some things now. Because my mo- I know my motive. My motive isn't to harm them. I love my kids. But my motive is to help them understand that if, you're, if you don't function responsibly, there are consequences and it will be there your whole life. If you're irresponsible at your job, the consequence is you get fired. Are you following me? And yet, here we are, we, we, we tend to go behind the scenes wanting to mop up their, their messes all the time and not bring any correction or not bring any discipline. And, and we may disagree on what that may be, but folks, if there's none, I'll guarantee you what you'll get. Sure, we're advocates for our kids. Sure, we want to do our best that if they're in a tough situation, we should be the ones that get in there and fight for them. But you do them a disservice when you circumvent any discipline or correction. Somebody, I, I don't like, I, I believe me, there, were te- there have been teachers that have done things with my kids in disciplinary ways that I didn't like. But you know what? I'd rather them learn it early in school from a teacher than to have them learn it down on, you know, Leeds Avenue. So we gotta, we got to teach them some things. A part of the entitlement mentality. Do you understand the entitlement mentality we have in our culture is linked to a generation that doesn't feel like they have to be responsible anymore. They don't have to be responsible to get a job. Listen, you know what's interesting? If, 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 you give, if you just keep giving people stuff, just, I, and I'm, I'm not, this is going to sound bad, and I'm sorry if it does, and I'll just live with it, and you send me the email, and I'll take my beating. But it's amazing to me how when people get an entitlement mentality, they, they, everything around them turns to crud. 
Why is that? Why is it, why is it that you go down to public housing or Section 8 housing? And, and Jesus loves these people. And I'm not saying they aren't good people and they don't love the Lord. And I'm not saying any of this. I'm just saying, why is it? Why is it? Because they never understood that irresponsibility has a consequence. They just think someone's going to pick up the trash for me. Someone's going to fix the window for me. Someone's going to do this for me. Can I just share this with you? Get it into your kid's psyche that God and them, and they got to put some energy into it in order for life to work well. We have got to lay a foundation of responsibility. Teach them how to manage their money. If you give them an allowance, teach them. And if they blow it, figure out a way to correct it. Discipline. I I mean, I'm going to go down the list here. I just wrote a whole bunch of things about personal responsibility. I mean, there should come a moment as, as kids get older that you don't have to check them out to see if they cleaned everything on their body that needed cleaning. Are you following me? It's responsibility. You say, why would you say that? Because have, have you ever walked in a crowded place and just took a big whiff? Somebody missed the shower lesson. Brushing teeth, using deodorant personal responsibility. Isn't it amazing? Why is it that we don't like to go to public bathrooms, but we'll go to our own bathroom? Because the public hasn't learned what it means to flush a toilet. Isn't that true? Teach your kid, flush a toilet. Nothing irks me any more than going and... What's wrong? Don't you? There's a handle, push. And then the next one after that is teach them how to hit a toilet. Why do they clean up? Why do they make him clean up their bedroom? It's because one of these days they're going to be given a nice house and they got to be taught how to keep it clean. Well, why do, why do you make them mow lawns? Why do you make them do that? It's because there's going to be a day it's going to be theirs and they need to know how to handle it. We're teaching them personal responsibility. I just read, I just read in the paper, I'm going to call, but I have a friend, pastor friend in Milwaukee. The Milwaukee Public Schools have decided, one of the few public schools, that now the public school is going to be a condom facilitator in that public school. I read that, and I thought to myself, boy, what does that teach them? What does that teach them? It teaches them they're a barnyard animal. Protect yourself. You're no better than the dogs out back who will jump on anything that walks by. That's who you are. We just want to make sure maybe we can protect you a little bit. We're not teaching them responsibility. Responsibility. And so... And so Joseph and Mary, while it is true, they got Jesus. Jesus was unique. But there were still some very important features of their life that had to get them, that, that, that had to be used out of their life to facilitate the very purpose and promise of God. I want to end with this and I'll be done. We had for several weeks some neighbors that live just across the road from us now Dior and Svetlana live across from us, and it's not Dior and Svetlana now. So I just want to say that out loud. It, some folks know where we live. So we're not, they do a wonderful job with all that they do. But I'm talking about the neighbors that were right next door. We had some neighbors. They've since moved away. And uh, they were renters of a house that the owners were in the military, and they had to go away to uh serve in another location they kept their home and i think want to retire in charleston and so they wanted to keep their home and rent it out to people in order to do that so there were some neighbors that moved in and i don't want to be demeaning i don't want to be 
I don't want to be unkind or ungracious. But it didn't take long to figure out that that while we consider our neighborhood to be, I mean, it's middle class, it's, it's not at the top end, it's not the bottom end, it's just kind of right there, it's just kind of a middle class neighborhood. Apparently they thought they'd moved into a trailer park or, or public housing, I don't know which one. And it wasn't long before, you know, this, the whole place was falling apart. Uh, I mean, there were bicycles that would be left in my front yard. You say, well, Pastor, what did, what did you do when they leave your bicycles in your front yard? I, I picked the bicycle up. I walked over to where the trash would be picked up, and I laid it there, and I figured they'll either get it or the Charleston County trash guy's going to get it. Some, I'm not, I, you see, I, I have no authority. I'm not going to go over and have a fuss with my neighbor over whether or not he can parent. We watched on numerous occasions when the bus came by that apparently the kids were kicked off the bus for their behavior, and then Dad would get on the bus, and he'd be in this big brouhaha with the bus driver right there, right there in front of my house. You could you could see them going to town with each other because the kid was fixing to get kicked off because of some behavior. But, of course, how many of you know it's not the kid's fault? It's the bus driver's fault. Somehow or another, it's the bus driver's fault. I know that there was an instance with the neighbor even next door to that that started some fight or some something or other and the, the whole the whole thing was just an incredible sad scenario that we got to watch almost on a daily basis from our front window and, and you know what the saddest part is the saddest part is is that all of the kids that were in there had a great destiny all of the children that that were in that particular household, they were they were gifts from God too. They were promises from God too. They were they were they were people that Jesus died for and had a plan for their life. And I don't know whether mom or dad would ever get their life rearranged, but I can tell you this that, that the children the children deserve a chance. And after a while, I mean you you'd be irritated by what they would do, but after a while you sort of got the fact that the reason they did what they did was because of what they grew up with. You know, one of the saddest things, and, and, and I realize that, that kids are born with a carnal nature, and, and there is no guarantee how they're going to turn out. I understand that you can do the best you know how to do, and they'll still go sideways. So I, 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 what I'm about to say, I understand that, that we can do our best, and sometimes they'll still make really, really poor decisions. But can I also say this? just because we need at times in our culture a little bit of pressure put on us, that sometimes they're just a reflection of what they're growing up in. Now, now, don't beat yourself up. It's easy to make a parent feel guilty. I'm just simply saying that yesterday's gone. You can't change it and I can't change it, but I can change tomorrow. I, I, can, I can begin to put into practice some things that will help bring order that will help define a destiny and that will help get my kids and, and, and potentially my life and my household in the direction God would want it to be. God, God wants you to succeed. The most important thing you can ever succeed at really is your, your, your legacy of kids. If you fail there, we've really failed the culture. But if we succeed there, 
Folks, God could use that to bring great revival. So this is what I want to do this morning. I want to pray for our parents this morning and, and uh, grandparents too. And, in fact, I'm going to pray because some of you are aunts and uncles. I just started thinking, we all have influence. There are teachers here. There are, there are Sunday school teachers, and I know youth pastors and kids pastors and workers. And So I just want everybody right now to stand with me. And I'm, I'm going to pray right now, and, and I'm going to ask God to just release an anointing. And uh, can I have some musicians? And we're just going to sing our way out this morning, so maybe the, the musicians can be, begin to move this direction as I just begin to pray. But, you know, Trey said in the beginning of prayer time, if, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth abundantly. My purpose this morning isn't to make you feel bad about anything. It's to, it's to just kind of shake you a little bit until you stay in the hunt. Adjust what needs adjusting. You know, James Dobson wrote a book that said parenting isn't for cowards. That really is true. It takes a lot of fortitude, a lot of courage parent in the day we're living in. It's just hard. They're watching and seeing things that we didn't see when we grew up. I had I had maybe tops three channels that I could tune into. Now they've got 3,000 channels that they can tune into. I mean, I had one of those, uh, uh, what do they call those, pong deals? Just It was just one of this little, this little electrical thing that went up and down the screen. That was like a tennis game. What was that called? Atari. Anybody ever have an Atari here? So, you know, I had an Atari. I mean, can you imagine Atari? Now there's Wii's. I don't even know what's out there. But I, I know some of the things that you can throw on this. It's not the same day. It's not the same age. And, and can, I just, can, I, can I just say this to you? If, if you just stand where you are, it's going to get worse. I mean, the dark's going to get even darker, and you don't have to move or do a thing. Let me, don't apologize that we're going to—we're we're moving to put things in order. We're moving to get things right again. We're moving in order to make a difference, to be a solution, and it can't start anywhere else. Don't you get mad at the White House until you first get upset at what the devil's doing in your house, and at that moment, revival can come. I'm not worried about Washington D.C. I'm I'm worried about 1736 Way of Drive. That's what I'm worried about. And then after that, I'm worried about 1401 Sam Rittenberg. And then we'll talk about Charleston. We'll talk about the Tri-County, and then we'll talk about the state and the nation. But that's where it starts right there. Amen. Father, I pray right now for these people. Some of them have children that have grown and, and, and they've gone. Some are grandparents. Some still have children within their sphere of authority, under their roof, in their house. There's some aunts and uncles, there are teachers here, there are people who are influencing young people at various levels and in different ways. All of us, to some extent, have been tasked by you to impact the next generation. So Lord, we cry out today for an anointing to come. Lord, would you send an anointing upon us today? Would you give us an anointing to parent? Give us an anointing to mentor? Give us an anointing, Lord, to give guidance and direction. Lord, we confess to you, we, 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 we are sometimes at a loss. We're exasperated. We are tired. It seems like we're pushed to the edge. Our lives are just frazzled. And, and, and then we're asked to help somehow lead the next generation. And Lord, it just seems overwhelming. But Lord, I pray 
that you would send strength. You said that we could arise on wings as eagles. We could run and not be weary. We could walk and not faint. And Lord, I pray particularly in this area. And as we're moving into a new year, it's, it's, it's an opportune time for us as, as parents to be able to evaluate how we're doing here. Are there things we need to adjust? Things we need to maybe tighten up on? Maybe some things we need to loosen up on. But, but whatever it is, we're doing this in the will of God and out of the word of God. Not because it's convenient, but because, Lord, you're making it a conviction. Lord, I break this morning the, the fear of control. Lord, there are parents here today that were controlled by parents. And so their greatest fear is that they'll be a controller. And Lord, I pray right now that you would break that fear. Lord, we don't want to be controllers, but Lord, we're certainly authority. So Lord, help us to know. We're going to trust your Holy Spirit to help us know if this is control or is this appropriate parental guidance. Thanks, Lord, for doing this. Lord, we break... We break the feelings of failure. There may be some today that would just say after listening, you know, I've, I've failed. I've, I've not done everything I could do. I, I just break that in the name of Jesus. Would you, just, would you just before the Lord just say, Lord, this is how I feel. And would you let him cleanse you of that feeling right now and cause you to get your faith back and your confidence back and arise and get your divine do-over. I'm glad for do-overs, aren't you? That's the amazing thing about human beings is their capacity to walk out a do-over. Some of you right now, you need to hear that. Come on, step up right now and just lay hold of your divine do-over. And God's going to grant you authority that you felt like you've lost. God's going to grant you favor that you felt like you squandered. God's going to grant you wisdom that you feel like you ignored on other occasions. God can do that if you're open to saying, Lord, Lord, I blew it, but now I see and I'm stepping up. Would you give me a divine duo? A divine duo. Help us, Lord, be a people who are committed to helping the next generation in our own house and in the house of God. Help us, Lord, be just absolutely focused on the truth that if true dominion is going to take place it's going to happen because we're mentoring the next generation in important and impactful ways oh God send an anointing send an anointing with every head bowed and every eye closed how many of you would say this morning Just I don't know you may be a parent you may be in the mix somehow but you just lift your hand and just say, I need an anointing this morning. I need, I need God to send me an anointing in this thing. Come on, you've got some destiny in your hands. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Lord, there's a hungry people here that's needing you to move on their hearts and their lives. For you to do something really unique in them as a mom and as a dad, as a grandparent, as an aunt, as an uncle, as a teacher, as a pastor. Lord, do it, would you? in all of our lives. And Lord, I believe you can cause us to be of the spirit of Joseph and Mary. You can cause us to be of the spirit of Joseph and Mary where you could entrust to us one of your most important purposes. Thanks, Lord. We receive that today. We receive 
We receive the love of God. We receive the wisdom of God. We receive the discernment of God. I know. I activate right now gifts of the Spirit in parents. Thank you, Lord, for reminding me. I activate words of knowledge in parents right now. Come on, if that if that's something you need, just lift your hand up and say, I, I receive that right now. Come on, I prophesy to you. Words of knowledge in you right now. Gifts of discernment. Come on, some of you need you need the gift of prophecy working in your house. Where you can begin to declare destiny over your kids. Come on, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've stared my children in the eye and I prophesied to them and I said, you shall not go the way of others. But all the days of your life you shall know the Lord thy God and you shall walk in His ways and you shall love Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall arise and fulfill the purpose of God in your life and for this generation. I've had Him, haven't I? I've had Him literally kneel before me and I'll lay my hands on their head and I'll just prophesy over them. Sometimes that's better than a whooping. But I've given them prophetic whoopings too. It's okay. It's their destiny. It's their destiny. Lord, I pray that you would ignite that. That there would be such supernatural activity going on in our parents. That it would bring back the fear of the Lord. Into the lives of our children. That it would bring back the fear of the Lord into our households. That it would bring back such respect for the things of God, Lord, that there would be a holy, holy reverence because of just the sharpness and the obvious happenings of your spirit in our households. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We receive it. We receive it in Jesus' name. Can you say, I receive that? Come on, I receive that into my life right now. Come on, just don't be a hearer. Be a receiver. I receive that right now in Jesus' name. Start singing. Can we do that? I see the King of glory Coming down with clouds of fire No holy shakes No holy shakes I see His love and
Hosanna. Glory to God. Lord, we celebrate you this Christmas season. Lord, I pray now that you and your presence would settle in amongst your people, that as they depart from this place, Lord, that the true spirit of the Christ would be alive and well. We know many will travel. Let them travel with safety. And Lord, let what you are doing in this place be disseminated all across the region. Lord, we believe that we can make a great impact. So Lord, we love you. We appreciate you. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give him one more hand clap and then you're released. God bless. Hey, it's good good to see you all. We hope to see you at the party this Wednesday night, 6.30. It gets started. We'll have a great service after we fellowship for a good while. It'll be a great night. And then next Sunday is the last Sunday of the year. And so it'll be a great time together. God bless you. God loves you. We love you. Merry Christmas. Have a great holy day.